coming up on The Medicine Podcast. You know, Jesus spoke Aramaic. That's now a dead language. Right. And so we had to transition from Aramaic to Latin. Uh, and he might have spoken Greek a little bit, but basically we went from Aramaic to Latin and then had to translate Latin to English. And that's being generous. If we've only made two steps, or even if it was just Greek to Latin to English, like, and even when you translate like one language to another, I know so much significance and meaning gets absolutely lost in the words where certain words can have so much more value. This episode of the Medicine Podcast is brought to you by Immune Intel AHCC. Immune Intel is the most clinically researched specialty immune supplement in the world. Anyone with an immune system can benefit from taking this thing. If you want to check it out, go to themedicine.com forward slash products. Welcome back to the Medicine Podcast. My name is Mimi, and I'm here with my love, my king, my partner in basically everything I do in life. What is going on, everybody? We are so excited to be back. And we have a special guest today. We've got a friend that we've we've had in the space for some time now. And uh, we've been sort of patiently waiting for the right topic and the right moment to to bring Clayton on. But we've got today, Clayton Q. Terry, welcome to the Medicine Podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. It's an honor to be here. And I'm really excited to see how you know, you guys are energetically with each other. Cause I know it's one thing to like watch a podcast, but then whenever you're connected, let's say in that conversation, I'm always interested in seeing how these divine partnerships uh, play off each other. So I'm excited just to even just talk to you guys, but thanks for having me on in general. We're happy to have you. This is going to be fun. I might be biased, but I think our, our energy is, is, is our partnership good. is pretty divine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and honestly, one of the things that has has made our connection now in part two so interesting and fun and curious has been this opportunity to look back on our upbringing, mm-hmm. uh, the upbringing that was so deep into evangelical Christianity with a level of interest into how do we not throw the baby out with the bathwater? We have both left Christianity. I left it quite bitterly, um, middle fingers to the air. And it took me a while to even be able to look at that religion and try to find or highlight any um, pillars of deep wisdom and truth and redeeming qualities, if you will. But one of the things that found me sort of by happenstance, but was this beautiful bridge back to some of the deep truths of Christianity and what really sounds like some of the highlights of this Jesus character that everybody seems to like so much was the Gospel of Thomas. And this is why it's a perfect opportunity to talk to you, Clayton, because you have recently uh, written a book called Revealing the Secret Teachings of Jesus, the Gospel of Thomas, where you deep dive the first 10 verses of the gospel. And that's what we're going to be getting, in, getting into today, which I'm, I'm stoked about because it's beautiful and it's been a few years since I've actually gone back and read any of the verses myself. So maybe to kick it off, would love to know what your history with religion was like, what your history and or relationship with Christianity was like, and then how it sort of led into this more mystical interest. Yeah, certainly a beautiful spot to start. And I was brought up Presbyterian. So I was baptized Presbyterian. I was, uh, what was it? I went through like a Sunday school there. So it was like pre-K Presbyterian school. And then forget what it is. Is it communion? They call it communion whenever you become like, uh, 
confirmation confirmation Confirmation. yeah Yeah, there it is geez that's how far away i've been from (laughs) it (laughs) so i was confirmed presbyterian and everything was kind of we kind of just like sunday people like we showed up on sunday did the chanting did the you know praying pray before bed kind of thing pray over our meals but our hearts definitely weren't in it which i've come to find out is so powerful whenever it comes to these types of things which maybe we'll get into a bit later, a little teaser for the audience. Uh, but my, I think the pivotal thing with the church with me came around 2010. And 2010 was whenever, politically speaking, uh, there was a huge push with the gay rights movements to yeah. legalize gay marriage. And before we get into this, I want to make a caveat that like, I'm all for anybody getting married. I don't care what you identify as, as, as long as, you know, it's a, it's a commitment between both parties, you know, no one's forced into it and you both care about each other. Like, and we can get into the nuances with marriage. I know that was a whole thing with you guys. And what I just saw was, is like, yeah, that's cool. Do it. But then whenever I saw that the Presbyterian church, at least mine, I'm not sure if it was a wide Presbyterian thing, they just decided to change the text in the Bible. It was always a, between a marriage was between a man and a woman and they changed it to between two people and it didn't it just was weird to me it was like this is our sacred text we're allowed to go back and update it like that's allowed (laughs) i was like i thought this was something that was you know proverbially set in stone i thought this was like our our thing this was god's word and now we're updating it so something about that was like what's what's going on here and i remember reaching out to some people who i was confirmed with and majority of them were like oh i'm cool with it oh it doesn't matter to me And I just, to me, it just like, was like this extra little, like, what is going on here now through 2010 to 20, I don't know, 2020 ish, 2021, I was not like anything. I was probably, if I were to say something agnostic, like, I don't know what's going on. I'm probably identified with the material world who knows. And then, you know, I had this like whole, like psilocybin therapy session that just unlocked me to the spiritual world and so then for the last like two and a half ish three years i've been just deep diving into that especially with my podcast which chase was so graciously on and i know we talked about mimi you'll be on in the future yeah where i'm just like what is going on in this space like somebody talk to me like okay are there angels are there demons is the akashic records a thing (laughs) like who are we talking to was jesus even a person and through this evolution you know there was uh the gospel of thomas came to me and i was like oh this is interesting like what's going on with this text so i made a quick TikTok video about it which went absolutely viral i think it got over two million views wow which blew my mind and it was just me like introducing the book in which i was like hey i'm gonna go through this line by line and tell people about it two million views one hundred fifty thousand followers later and i just first of all people who want to go viral be careful what you wish for (laughs) because there was a lot of internal turmoil or an internal war that was occurring within me of half the people saying that the gospel of thomas is absolute genius and half the people saying that i am now a heretic and i am on a dark path to hell so be very careful Uh yeah so that will put you in a very interesting place in life and so you know it wasn't until like uh that was probably about a year ago 
And now I was like a lot more serious about it. And I've been getting the, the downloads that I need to start writing this book. And, and from the second I started typing, like everything just seemed to flow through me. The only thing I did was like reword a couple sentences after the first draft, reword a couple sentences and move around where things were placed. But generally speaking, the thing just, it was just, um, I was in the flow of what's it called? Like, uh, the flow, I guess it's just yeah. called the flow. Yeah. Yeah. Creative flow. Yeah, I was just in the flow with the entire thing. And that's what brought me to here. That's why we're talking. I feel like, I mean, there's so many different directions we can take this conversation. But, you know, when you were speaking to like, oh, you know, our family went on Sundays, we prayed before meals, uh, but it wasn't really like alive and and on fire in our hearts. I feel like you just, you described like 90% of religious people, whether they are Christian or Catholic or maybe Muslim or whatever. I feel like that is the majority of people. And, and certainly like in our upbringing school, uh, we went to a Christian school, certainly like in our church, even, even our families, it was mostly people who were just like, here's the to-do list. Here's the yeah. checklist of the religion that we're a part of. And as long as we're doing these things, that means that we're on track, that we're good people. And for me, I'll speak for myself and, and I would love to hear your, your thoughts on this and yours is too, your, yours uh, as well, babe. But it's only like when I stepped out of Christianity, not in a, a hateful or bitter way, it was just more like, what do I actually believe? Like, what do I, what makes sense to me? And just kind of taking a, a, a zoomed out view and starting to ask some questions is when I, I actually noticed and really put my consciousness and awareness to like, hey, most people who say that they're a Christian or a Catholic or religious in some way, like, aren't even that nice of people. Yeah. They're not even following really what Jesus spoke about. They're not even like living true to the namesake of their religion. Like, what are we doing here? Churchianity. You know, we like to call it churchianity, which mm. is the difference between, you know, the beauty and the mm -hmm. mysticism that's embedded in the history of these these ancient religions. And, um, you know, for me, it took, usually it takes some level of crisis, identity crisis to start to push back a little bit. And we we're like middle-class Americans growing up in the suburbs as white kids and having a pretty solid time and it wasn't until i experienced my own identity crisis as an athlete i was in college college basketball player my coach was an ordained minister i was at a presbyterian school this guy was the biggest narcissist asshole ever and for the first time i'm starting to question like i'm unhappy mm -hmm. i'm unwell this person's a narcissist how and abusive and abu how does this actually fall mm. into the correct orientation of this thing called christianity that everybody here is claiming to be the 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 rules and the 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 way that we orient ourselves in life and that was kind of my first push out of it oddly enough it was my presbyterian education that required a study of ancient religion a history of christianity history of sociology philosophy psychology that i got by the time i was a junior or senior i was like fuck this <laughs> this doesn't make any mm -hmm. sense there are contradictions everywhere and so curious for you you know you kind of mentioned you you stepped into this you know period of your life where you were like dude i don't know i'm in this space of of like i just don't know and that's the agnostic the beautiful agnostic position it's just like i don't know um but there's a level of of uh differentiation there where you can settle on just full-blown scientific materialism this is all just a chemical experiment or i'm deeply curious there's likely something more 
What for you kind of positioned you into that space of just deep curiosity? Well, what pushed me into deep curiosity was the psilocybin therapy session that we touched on briefly where I had just come out of a relationship and it was a month and a half of pure bliss. Like it was like, we were exchanging telepathy of some sort. Like, I don't know, like it was just bizarre. And prior to this relationship, I was very logically minded, very, you know, I was a computer engineer. So it was like one plus one equals two, and there's no room for anything else in the world. Very materialist. So to experience that and that relationship felt like we knew each other for well over a year, like we had been seen, like it didn't make sense to me. And it crumbled because of just me stepping back into my logical minded nature. She asked me what we were and the gears just started turning. It was like a cog in the machine. The flow was interrupted. And over the course of the next month, everything fell apart. That was when I came across like the psilocybin therapy and it was, uh, it was crazy because you set your intention. Then we meet up and I walk into this girl's room, her apartment, and there's like crystals all over the place. There's tarot cards. And I'm just internally, I'm like laughing to myself. I'm like, Clayton, what the fuck did you get yourself into, man? <laughs> yeah. I was you like, this is ridiculous. Those experiences under your belt. You're not living. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Though. That's actually a very important point. <laughs> uh, and so I'm just like, dude, just go with it. Like, you know, I had done psilocybin recreationally, but like, what if there's actually a divine way to use this? What if there's a integrated way to use this? So I was like, all right, like, let me just go through the motions, actually spe spe specifically how we're talking about here with Christianity. Let me go through the mo motions. I'll humor this chick. And over the course of the next three hours, I was absolutely mind blown how sexual trauma from my past was distorting my viewpoint of love, mm. how that was related to my yellow solar plexus chakra, mm. how all these cards she had pulled moments before basically highlighted that this is exactly what we were going to talk about, even down to a gemstone I picked, which was pyrite, which is aligned with the solar plexus chakra, which makes no sense to me whatsoever at the time. And I'm just like, uh, like no clue what to do with it. Right. And that was really my first and probably prevalent dark night of the soul, which people talk about. I'm sure you guys have covered on your podcast and just really blew me open of like, there's another dimension at play here. What is that dimension? And so that really set the groundwork of this just spiral into the unknown of just let me see if what's going on with feminine energy over here yeah. what's going on with being vulnerable i know we talked about this whenever i had you on chase but like what does it mean to be a man and be vulnerable and is, isn't vulnerability weakness so like am i being weak by being vulnerable and realizing those aren't the same thing whatsoever and so jen that unlocked me into finding all of these different paths within within the spiritual realm, if you will. And I know you guys even recently had on someone talking about like drumming and how like drumming can be a spiritual path. And what kind of happened with me is I tried all these different ones out channeling. Um, I'm kind of blanking on what the other ones were, but channeling was probably the biggest one that I invested in for a little bit. And then I came across autobiography of a yogi with Paramahansa Yogananda and something about it just resonated to my core. It was just like, this is my path or what's called sadhana. This is my spiritual path. So over the last 
probably six months at this point, I've been consuming every single book that this dude has written. And mind you, historically, I don't really read more than like one or two books by an author. But this dude, I think I'm up to like nine or 10 at this point, which is crazy. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. But everything he says, my mind is just like, yeah, I know that's true. Yeah, I know that's true. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I've even gone to the point of doing like his spiritual lessons, uh, which I guess is technically like his organization. And I mean, throughout the entire thing, he's quoting Jesus, he's quoting the Bible. He's like, hey, like, you know, this is an in Hinduism. We we talk about this and Jesus talked about this as well. So here's the connection. And so then I think that was like the missing piece to write this book is having that understanding of like where does it talk about in the bible where does jesus talk about in the gospel of thomas and now that i have this missing piece that paramahansa has brought into my life it's like oh like this is how i can explain the mystical level using jesus's words in the gospel of thomas yeah Mm, i love that it's so fun when things start falling into place and like not just falling but like clicking into place where you hear something Mm -hmm. you read something and you know immediately that this is true like it's not even like a convincing or a learning that's happening it's like a remembering i've had that so many times especially in you know books like the law of one where it's like i've never heard this before but somehow i already know this to be true and i feel like i'm remembering something rather than learning something new yeah it's i've been thinking about this more lately and i'm not conclusive on this by any means but you know we all generally have some orientation towards towards logical or or more creative and mystical and intuitive and what you want to call that masculine or feminine i don't really give a shit at this point um these verbs and words have become so saturated that it's like hard to even identify with any of them anymore but there's groups who can read the music and or write the music and then there's folks who can play it Mm -hmm. and we're generally set up in one bucket or the other maybe a little bit of both for the unique folks out there and you go through life thinking that music is what's on the script it's the keys that are written and articulated on this script this is music and others say no the music is the sound and the dance and the vibration and most of the time if you've done something like psychedelics and you're a little more logically oriented and you're convinced that music is what's on the sheet of paper you experience the sound of the music for the first time and the vibration of the music and you go holy shit there's so much more to music you are the music (laughs) you are the music and and on the other side you typically you know the the people who are super artistic they're nature children they're less grounded and logical and top to bottom left to right and then if they decide to lean into something maybe it's books maybe it's a system maybe it's a specific articulation or protocol that defines and rationalizes these very mystical things that they've been feeling and thinking they can start to go oh my god there's actually a system to this there's a code to this there's a frequency to this Did you know that Mushy Love Latte contains three to five times more organic mushrooms per serving than almost any other mushroom product out there? How did we do this? Well, we started with the question, how do we get the most mushrooms possible packed into each scoop and still make it delicious? It took us a while, but the result is a whopping one gram of chaga and tremella in a mixture that tastes like a liquid cinnamon roll to support robust immunity, glowing skin and hair, and overall cellular hydration. 
all organic ingredients, no weird fake sweeteners, and our mushroom growers have over 40 years of experience. They are OGs in the mushroom industry. We weren't interested in creating anything but the best for you guys and ourselves. <laughs> Grab a bag of Cinnamon Swirl Mushy Love Latte at GetMushyLove.com and you can use the discount code MEDICIN, M-E-D-I-C-I-N, just for being a valued listener of the podcast. Enjoy. And again, it's this marriage between the two. I think psychedelics help so many of us who've been stuck in this really logical way of thinking. Our psilocybin, especially, it's a very mm -hmm. feminine experience. It really supports people who've been just gridded into a system and have to really shatter that system in order to experience what it's like outside of the matrix reality. Um, but I think what's under addressed is that sort of code or logic that can be written and articulated for those who are a little bit more mystical. And so I, I, I love that experience for you, Clayton. It's so similar to my own having uh, years into scientific materialism and or just kind of an agnostic approach be completely shattered with with the interjection of uh, magic mushrooms <laughs> but um i definitely want to get into the to the gospel of thomas and and before we do you know i've got some of the excerpts from the, some of the verses that that i definitely want to pick your brain on and get your thoughts on but i think we should lay a foundation a little bit assuming that most maybe haven't heard of the the text um, and maybe you don't even know about some of the key components to just the Bible at large that you spell out in the book. And so let's lay a little bit of the foundation, which would be awesome. Um, what is the Gospel of Thomas? Where did it come from? Who is Thomas? Yeah, it's it's all great questions. And I'll, I'll jump into kind of like the timeline that I have found. And I know with numbers, it gets a little messy. So I'm perfecting this still. So <laughs> give me some feedback if the numbers get messy. But where all of this starts is with, of course, the birth of Jesus Christ. And something I found interesting is that I always just assumed Jesus was born at zero. Like we always just pinned it at zero. But in actuality, he was born between four and six BC, which then places his uh, crucifixion around 26, 28 AD, which, you know, you want to talk about the first time you get mind gets blown. It's like, oh, well, we're just starting off pretty strong here. <laughs> <laughs> So after Jesus uh, is crucified, over the next um, kind of 100 to 200 years, small sects of pre-modern Christianity popped up. This would be like where the Gnostics originally started being formed. And what people were doing were taking texts. Well, they're A, starting to write the text, but then also B, figuring out which text they wanted to include in their own belief system right so like this would be like is the mary gospel of mary in this is uh the book of enoch a part of this what about you know then the ones that we have in the bible the the um you know mark mark luke john like are we going to read these ones are these included so over the next from jesus's death and or crucifixion and resurrection if you will in 28 a.d we now have these small sects of pre-modern christianity popping up for the next two, 300 years. And it wasn't until like the late 300s whenever councils started get merging, right? So you have all these small sects of Christianity and then the uh, bishops, or I don't even know if they'd be called bishops at this point, but basically the higher ups within each church were like, hey, we should all just come together and agree upon a set rule of books to teach people yeah they're basically and, like cult leaders really like yeah at, at that point in time these are like cult leaders mystic cult leaders sure and i mean you know this time period is riddled with people who want power 
We want money and power. I mean, and we're still, we still have a little bit of that in here today, but I think as we know, if we take a step back from the, from the timeline as a whole and earth as a whole, we're moving into, you know, the age of Aquarius, there's more love, more compassion that's going to be happening on earth. So 2000 years ago, it was a lot more power hungry than what we're seeing today, but nonetheless, you know, so that element of power and control is at, at play here. So what happened is, is all of these cult leaders, if you want to call them that, <laughs> came together and said, hey, like we're teaching this book, you're teaching that book, should we agree, let's agree, let's merge. And they claimed that it was uh, unilaterally decided, but I'm sure whoever had the biggest following probably had more of a say in which books were included. So then it wasn't till around, I think like 400 AD, I know 400 AD was when the Vulgate was written. So in Latin, this was the first time that we had the Old Testament and New Testament brought together, which as a fun fact, the Vulgate wasn't accepted into Catholicism until like, I think 1560, 1516 AD. So even that still get, it was still getting updated until the 1500s, but even taking a step back, right? So now we have the 400s and around this time period, was when massive book burning was occurring. So the reason I bring this up is because when it comes to the Gospel of Thomas, people are like, oh, this was probably, this was likely written in 300 to 400 AD, which makes sense because they're written in Coptic, which wasn't around till 325 AD. So what, but there's also evidence that this was like a translated, um, this was a translated text, like by the way that the writing was there's like insertions in the in the margins the whole bunch of different reasons so there's high evidence that it was actually translated from an older text where we get in where it gets even more interesting is if we look at the in the library of alexandria we have what was the attempt to be the biggest collection of all original documents so whenever ships would actually come into port in alexandria the protocol was, is you hand over all of your documents, we'll make a copy, and then we're going to give you the copy in return. You don't get to take the original back with you. So why this is important is that Alexandria housed all of the original documents of some of the most important texts in history. And where the tragedy falls is A, in the fall of a library of Alexandria, but also B, in the massive amounts of book burning that occurred between, I mean, it still happens today, but primarily between 300 and 600 AD with Christianity coming around, they were like, okay, any texts of Jesus that don't agree, we're going to burn those along with the people who are following these texts at stakes. So let's get rid of them. And then on top of that, you have the Muslim conquest that came in. So first of all, if the Gospel of Thomas made it out of the burning of whenever modern day Christian, well, when Christianity was forming, it would have likely been absolutely destroyed by the time the Muslims came around because their whole premise was, is if it disagrees with the Quran, then it's, you know, blasphemous. And if it agrees with the Quran, then it's not needed. So essentially they were just torch everything in sight. That wasn't the Quran. So as just a quick overview of all of this, Jesus is born four BC crucified 28 AD, around 100 to 200, the gospels are being written and transcribed from 100 to about 300 AD. We're having the popping up of, of uh, pre-modern Christianity, different sects, different versions of it. Then we have the councils coming together. 
We have all this book burning occurring. We have councils come together, say what we agree upon. And then leaders within the Roman Empire were like, okay, let's burn all the texts that disagree with Christianity. And then fast forward um, to 1945, which was when the Gospel of Thomas was found in Nag Hammadi, Egypt, which is kind of like in the middle of Egypt. It's a little town along the Nile. Um, and so that's kind of the the timeline that we're working he- here with whenever we distill this information. And as a caveat, I know that there are some disagreements within, let's say, modern theology in regards to why this is not a valid text. But personally, you know, I'm completely okay being wrong about any of the reasons that theologically, historically, it's not right. But if we sit down and actually evaluate the words that are being said here from a lens of wisdom, which is a whole nother thing to get into, we can see that there is profound wisdom and divine knowledge that is within this text. So it, it like it only makes sense that Jesus would have said these things. But even if he didn't, like this has the hand of God layered all over it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely align with you in that sense for sure. And and even if you look at what's considered canon in Christianity, it's just, and I'm not a theologian by any means or a historian by any means, but uh, a general look into its history, and that's how I ultimately decided to leave Christianity, was that this has a lot of gaps and this has had a lot of hands in the cookie jar. And this went through hundreds of years post Christ to come to a working model of what we call the Bible. And it include a ton of interventions politically, um, also socially. I mean, essentially Christ, whether he was real or not, but his idea prompted this uprising of, of a specific type of, of, you know, Jewish individual or community that was frustrated by the Hebrew tradition and frustrated by Rome's, influence so much so that it that it gained kind of widespread power depending on you know uh christian group a to christian group z all of them had their particular flavor depending on what region they were in what oppressions they were under etc etc and so what you're talking about is this consolidation of of a relatively consistent idea that this jesus character who spoke of radical reformation could be the guiding light towards stepping into a new way of being both spiritually but also you know politically and socially and it got to be so significant and so large that it was institutionalized ultimately by by rome and thus the systemization of what it means to be catholic and from that point in time if you take a look at any of that and even if you're just listening to the words that i'm saying if you grew up christian it's kind of mind-blowing because you never study it you never learn that and you go whoa 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 how is this the direct mm-hmm. words of god it sounds like there's a lot of human beings in the cookie jar here and so you have to get to the point where you're looking at the thing behind the thing the high level themes the meaning the interpretations that that can be felt and embodied in life and i think that's where the gospel of thomas comes to be quite interesting and then you match it with which you go into in the book and and so i'll leave a little bit uh, to be to be learned there but it kind of like mirrors this burning of the books idea this destruction of any sort of non-institutionalized description of what 
religion and what the what Christianity is going to be. So it would make sense that it was significantly hard to find, that it was buried in a cave amongst other very mystical versions that that seem to be almost cousins to this Christianity that we know today, Book of Enoch and some of these others that are just wild. Um, and so it starts to make a little more sense and whether or not it's the literal breath of God the Father or however you want to define that, this can be considered, this can be looked at, and what makes this really interesting and unique is that it has a lot of parallels with uh, the the Gospels as we know them today in Christianity. I think there's 114 quotations from Jesus, and some of them are word for word the same as what shows up in the Gospels of the Bible. Yeah. Why do you think that there's similarities, and then why do you think that there were differences. Let's say this was on the the cutting floor of uh, the compilation of the, the Christian Bible and the Gospel of Thomas, which shares all these similarities with other Gospels, was sitting there. What do you think was the deciding reason to leave some out, but leave some in? Yeah, it's a great question. And right before I answer that, I even want to add to how you're talking about like this mismatch and, you know, people changing the Bible. It's like, you know, Jesus spoke Aramaic and that's now a dead language. Right. And so we had to transition from Aramaic to Latin uh, and he might've spoken Greek a little bit. So there could have been some Greek in there, but basically we went from Aramaic to Latin and then had to translate Latin to English. And that's being generous. If we've only made two steps or even if it was just Greek to Latin to English, like that's being generous. And even when you translate like one language to another, I know so much significance and meaning gets absolutely lost in the words where certain words can have so much more value. And I kind of break down that a little bit in the, in the, in the book. Um, but that's just a, a good thing to highlight there, but getting back to your question, right? What was, uh, which was, um, why did this happen essentially, or why did this one get cut off the chopping block? So this is where it kind of gets a little interesting. And this is where we got to bring in Paramahansa Yogananda. So one of the things that he teaches is that there's multiple ways to pursue God, which I found just fascinating. And it's like, what, like, what does that mean? I, I thought Jesus was the only way to pursue God. There's no way else. Well, the fact of the matter is, and it seems to be more, the more I align with this, the more evidence or self-true it seems to hold which is that there are 10 manifestations of God. And by manifestations, I mean like the way that he appears in the world. So the way that he appears, the 10 ways would be like calmness, bliss, joy, peace, light, sound, or, or vibration, which is also seen as the Holy Ghost in Christianity, um, wisdom, devotion, and there's two more that are escaping my mind. Oh, intelligence is one of them. And I'm going to say to find the last one, you got to go get the book. <laughs> Ever get it off the top of my head. Cliffhanger. I yeah, cliffhanger. yesterday and I don't remember all 10, but I do remember yeah. being like, wow, this is to be meditated upon for sure. Definitely. And it's kind of funny because sometimes I can nail all 10, but I guess right now I'm like, all right, cliffhanger time. But yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy because like I've noticed in my life, anecdotally, before we get into it, I'll pursue just like one of these things at a time. And it will tend to open up the other ones in my periphery. So like, if I try to just be as calm as possible, like that'll open up so much more. And even in uh, Psalms 4610, 
which I'm not very good at quoting the Bible, but this is one that I've remembered for sure because of this. Uh, Psalms 46.10 is, be still and know that I am God. Yep. And it's literally talking about meditating and calmness. So like, if you're super calm, you're in touch with one of God's manifestations here on earth. So where this comes back to the Gospel of Thomas, where this comes back to the Bible, is in the elements of wisdom and devotion. So the Bible and what the church puts forth is devotion. You have to devote yourself to Jesus. You have to devote yourself to the church. You have to devote yourself to God. And what's beautiful, and I guess grotesquely beautiful about this, is that they were able to warp that into, oh, are you questioning me? Are you questioning the words I'm putting forth? Oh, then you must not be devoted to God's word because I'm the spokesperson for God. So who are you to say? And if you think about where this is coming together at, it's in being institutionalized. And so, yeah. of course, this devotion nature from these specifically chosen texts and or quite literally extracted verses is going to play into you know what was considered the need at the time to institutionalize this with the state. Exactly. Okay. We all know by now that the types of products we use on our face is critical to having clear skin that ages well. We need non-toxic. We need no pore cloggers. We need acne safe for our face. But what about the rest of our body? I have had a hell of a time finding truly clean, quality products to hydrate my legs, arms, stomach, and chest. The pore cloggers in the artificially smelly creams and lotions cause me ingrown hairs and bumps and have way too many hormone disruptors. Then I started using oil, but it always ends up getting on my clothes and my sheets. Ugh, so annoying. But now, all that is in the past because one of my favorite, absolute ride-or-die brands, Clearstem Skincare, has created their Soft Skin Body Lotion and Body Glow Hydrating Oil. These two are expertly formulated with ingredients like green tea, vitamin E, raspberry oil, hemp oil, and a blend of yummy botanicals. The result is the most luxurious dual hydration experience focused on giving you the texture and glow your body craves. Oh, and they smell like actual heaven. Both are anti-acne, anti-aging with zero pore cloggers and zero hormone disruptors. I've noticed that in using these two daily, the red bumps and ingrown hairs on my legs have basically all disappeared. My skin feels soft, pampered and hydrated like it can actually breathe hallelujah <laughs> if you want to grab some of this body hydration love go to clearstemskincare.com and use the code mimi m-i-m-i -M -I, for a hefty discount on all clearstem products bringing you only the best and only what i'm obsessed with enjoy exactly it's like i mean you want people that are devoted to your cause. You don't want people that are thinking for themselves. I mean, yeah, you bring it to even a governmental level. You want to be you want to be devoted to your government. The conspiracy theorist in me is like, okay, they knew what they were doing. They chose the devotion element of God to get people in line and to be devoted. Or it's also possible that unconsciously, maybe they just saw God as devotion and said, hey, like this is the only manifestation of God. So let's pursue him through devotion. The fact of the matter is, though, is that there's ten, nine other ones. And one of those other ones that we talked about was wisdom. And so this is where Gnosticism comes into play, which where Gnosis is a Greek word for knowledge or wisdom. 
And what Gnostics believe, and it's self, and at this point for me, it's self-evidently fact, is that you can pursue God through wisdom, through knowing more, through informing yourself. You know the old adage that ignorance is bliss? It's it's false. That is completely false. It's wisdom is bliss, which we now come back into the another aspect of God, which is bliss. Bliss is another manifestation of God. And so we can see that wisdom is actually bliss. Like the more you know, and this actually ties into one of his uh, verses, verse number two, Jesus said in Gospel of Thomas, verse two, Jesus said, let the seeker keep seeking until he finds. When he finds, he will be disturbed. When he is disturbed, he will be amazed. When he is amazed, he will be invincible to everything. And when he's invincible to everything, he will be at rest. So, so much to break down there. But the, the key here, right, is let him keep seeking until he finds. When he finds, he'll be disturbed. So, when we say ignorance is bliss, that's where people stop. They're like, oh, if I didn't know that, I would have been like in bliss. But the reality is, is that if you can push back that disturbance, you can get to being amazed. Then you can get to being invincible and then you'll be at rest. So now we have this reback connection to calmness and bliss that exists right here. And so I, I guess I think that fully answered the question that you were going yeah, for. Yeah, I definitely want to come back to that verse because I, I pulled it out as a, as a conversation point today. And and yeah, thank you for educating us and, and enlightening us on this process. And it's not to, it's not to just completely dunk on Christianity and its history, it's just to lay the context and the foundation of what we're looking at today, which you just start doing the math on how many interpretations this has gone through, how many translations this has gone through, how many verses, how many hands, how many church buildings, how many states and institutions. And you start to go, it is irresponsible for me to take this thing literally, quite literally irresponsible for me. And so we have to now put on this, you know, we're, we're stepping into that path it, where it becomes uncomfortable, where we have to go, okay, I got to think deeply about this. And I can't throw this out altogether because there's some really deep wisdom embedded in this thing. I'm going to have to, you know, use some feeling through this and some wisdom through this. Um, and, and again, like the, the Gnostics, which were a part of this sort of Christian uh, uprising at this time, had a slightly different view. They had this view that Christ was coming back essentially to enlighten um, everyone in the world that, that a trick has been played upon them. And that that I think the, the Gnostic phrase is, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing you that he was God. And that mm. they're essentially saying, what would, the, if the, there's this energy called the, the devil or Satan in, in this human experience, what would he do? He would trick us all into thinking that, that, that he was God and that the church itself is kind of the perfect vehicle to slip in behind, kind of like the Wizard of Oz. He's pulling the strings behind the, the curtain, but the, the devil is the one actually playing this trick on all of us. And obviously, that does not bode well when you're compiling these various Christian ideas into one unified version that needs to be united with the state. So, of course, that gets left behind in this process. Um, but like you mentioned, what also gets missed is this way to access and connect to God that has to do with wisdom and has to do with thinking outside of the box, and uh, not to mention these other versions that that um, Paramananda Yoga Mahanda or whatever the fuck Paramahansa his name is. Paramahansa Yogananda. I, I read like all his books. I can't remember his name. Um, and so, like, I, I love that you get into that in the book, and there's significantly more that we're probably skipping over. But but an important context to lay here is that. There were so many different 
ideas about how to connect with with the divine light that is that is god that were essentially left on the cutting room floor that have you know subsequently been found even quite recently as it pertains to you know 1940s or so that give us another opportunity to take a look at what holistic christianity and this jesus figure could actually be saying and the gospel of thomas arguably one of the coolest ones to take a deeper dive at and to see what else is there um and so like what what i went through and reading through the book um is some of these really rad verses that probably have a bunch of layover to other mystical teachings and spiritual teachings um but i would love to just i pulled five of them out I'll just read them out loud and then we can we can just jam on on maybe your study into them what resonated for you what you're hearing from people in your community and then just what comes up for us because this is these are really cool versions of of uh what comes out of this text that i want to encourage everybody to not only read clayton's book but get into the gospel itself um so i pulled out verse two and i think that's that's literally uh what we were just mentioning where jesus says let the seeker keep seeking until he finds when he finds he will be disturbed when he is disturbed he will be amazed when he's amazed he will be invincible to everything and when he is invincible to everything he will be at rest that is gospel thomas verse two so based on your study and maybe you can jump in here too what does this mean how can we apply this practically what comes up for for any of us as we think about that yeah, I, I want to definitely hear more from, from Clayton, but when you read this the first time just a few minutes ago, what sparked in my mind was a conversation around freedom. And that's what I that's what I'm reading and what I'm hearing when it says, and when he is invincible to everything, he will be at rest. I think of rest could almost be synonymous with free, right? Um, because we as people, this is very relevant right now in 2023 and everything that goes on in our world and world crises all, you know, every other day, it's like, if we just like close our eyes to everything and we're just like, uh, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Or, you know, don't tell me what's in it. I don't want to know the ingredients or like, no, just let me, you know, stay on my path of ignorance. Like, I don't want to know. La, 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 la you're never going to be truly free because if you're not seeking, if you're not seeking the truth out of curiosity and a love for learning and a love for acquiring wisdom, you're never going to have all the cards on the table from which you can make an educated decision for yourself that supports your freedom. Otherwise, we are in the child archetype we are wanting mommy and daddy government or mommy and daddy CDC or whoever or real mommy and daddy to take care of us and tell us what to do. But I think to um, to avoid that path, it does start with the individual wanting to seek and really step into their individualized adult wise you know wise adult archetype and from there yes you're going to find some things that are quite disturbing but you can't get to the truth you can't get to freedom until you step through that veil and really get all the mm-hmm. cards out on the table so like that's the first thing that i think of and i would love to hear you know your thoughts if they're different there but when i when i read he will be at rest i think he will be free yeah i mean mimi you 
illustrated, let me say this, you illustrated the physical world interpretation of that verse perfectly. And this is kind of a caveat for the entire book is that the way that Jesus spoke in parables is that you can interpret these things at a materialistic level, and then you can interpret them at a metaphysical level. And that's where I found the true nature of this like to be. And so even as you're talking about freedom, like, you know, here's a scary thought is that I don't even think that I'm truly free at this point. And it's like, well, what do you mean, Clayton? Like you're living on your own. You've got your own podcast. You're, you're doing all these things on your own. You're not free. I'm like, no, what I mean by that is that there's an idea called uh, samskaras. So in terms of karma, right, we have karmic actions. We do things in our past lives that carry over to this life. Um, and we could dive into that more if people aren't familiar with like reincarnation, but this all hinges on reincarnation being a thing. And so from our past lives, we create these grooves or what are called samskaras or these little grooves in our soul that essentially connect energies together. So like I have been blessed to remember four of my past lives at this point, all of which have been horrendous, like just terrible things that have occurred or that I've done. And one of the most recent ones, let's talk about getting disturbed, right? Like, okay, let me break this down actually with a personal example, and this is going to work in the metaphysical. So I have had some sort of connection, like the universe has been poking me through dreams, through things that I've seen outside myself, that there's a connection between me, um, between money with me, between money and sexuality. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me, right? You get into this field, like I got into the field, okay, something had to have happened in my past. Oh, okay, sexual trauma in my past, that's what led, led to this breakup. You get to a point in your journey where you realize that it, it, it can't be anything from this life that could have created these samskaras, these grooves in your life. So for me, and this is actually a medicine podcast exclusive, I haven't talked about this publicly before, um, <laughs> uh, is, is that what I found is that in the Roman Empire, and so this is kind of funny, we're even still talking about it. In the Roman Empire, I lived a life as a brothel owner. So every day I was extremely financially successful. I luckily I was treating my the my um employee my employees <laughs> very well um but I was surrounded by sex 24/7 surrounded by sex and I was making money in regards to running a brothel so the energetic samskara I had was this connection between money and sex and that I mean first of all was very disturbing to think how could I be a brothel owner and you know there's a whole bunch of different layers that come into it but bringing it back to the verse, right? I was seeking. Why Why is there a connection between sex and money? When he finds, he will be disturbed. I was kind of disturbed to find out that I was a brothel owner in a past life. And even sharing that, I know it takes a level of vulnerability because people could very easily judge you for past mistakes. Cancel culture is terrible for all these reasons. And, and luckily, and maybe that's a lucky thing we have in regards to uh, the forgetful veil that happens with reincarnation is that we don't have to hold ourselves so deeply accountable to those things. But moving forward, when he is disturbed, he will be amazed. Like, as even though I was disturbed that I was a brothel owner, I am amazed that this connection that happened, it was in Pompeii, by the way. So it was like right when before the volcano erupted, wow. which was a whole nother element of that. Yeah. Crazy fun fact. Actually, when I was in ninth grade, I took a trip to Pompeii and visited the same brothel that I owned in a past life. So oh, that was. Hey. 
yeah that was pretty trippy that was like one of those things of like disturbed amazed but like in this quasi like uh really so then you know the next level when he's amazed he'll be invincible to everything now in regards to this like i can see or like kind of energetically feel that this connection between money and sex has been like it's like it's like faded almost kind of like a a, like a what's the tinkerbell like you know that pixie dust she has it just Mm -hmm there's like that fading that kind of has come with this. And so now it makes me invincible to realize I can take on bigger and better things. And so now that I can be invincible to things, I can find myself at rest. I'm not as energetically attached to sex or to money because those no longer have as strong as a, of a samskara that is in my energetic field. It's been polished out. It's been, you know, kind of worked over a little bit. And so this is kind of like where it gets to the mystical level of this, right? Investigate these individual nuances you're seeing in your life. Once you're ready for the answer, maybe you're not, tell your spirit guides that you are ready. And this could be a very practical thing for anyone listening. Tell your spirit guides and, you know, I'm ready to know, like, show me. And once you make that commitment, they'll show you. And likely it'll be a little bit disturbing, but that will get you to the next step of being amazed that this connection even exists within your energetic field which then takes you to the next step of becoming invincible. You grow more as a person. You know, it's the old adage of like, people do bad things. Like, you know, there's, there's dark holes within all of us, but how do we holes? And the answer isn't to fill them. It's to grow bigger around them to become more like the blackness still exists, but let's become more than that darkness. Thank you for sharing that example. Uh, I, I, we've had our own realizations from like past life regressions in the last couple of years. And, um, but I, I do want to say for the listener, you don't have to do past life regressions to come to these sorts of mm-hmm. understandings about yourself. You can simply get quiet in yourself. If you want to be a seeker of your own inner world, that's somewhat simple and easy to do where you can sit in stillness, take a few deep belly breaths, and you can use a simple question for self-reflection like, what am I pretending not to know? And there are, or, or what am I lying to myself about? Like, just sit with that for like three minutes and you might be surprised at what comes through from your intuition. Even if you don't believe in spirit guides or, or God or whatever, like just tune into your own feelings and intuition that's, that's being generated from inside of you. That kind of seeking still has a lot of value on this path of self development and evolution. Um, I think that we, that's something that we need to keep doing. Um, and, and there's so many different flavors to this type of seeking. This is the hero's journey. This is the pre-tragic, tragic, post-tragic, as Mark Goffney would articulate it. This is where you see a call to adventure and you become the seeker and you step through the threshold. And it, although it starts out with butterflies and rainbows, you trickle into the territory that's somewhat uncomfortable. It's disturbing. You're out of your comfort zone. So much so that you slip down into the belly of the whale. You slip down into the dark night of the soul. There's millions of ways that it's been it's been coined and articulated. It's seen through most successful stories. Only until you keep seeking, you keep asking, and you transcend what you thought was turmoil. And it's actually beautiful on the other side. And you've discovered or tasted the elixir of life such that you can bring it back and be its be the gift to the world from what you've discovered. This is the this is the transcendence of even relationships. You seek for a relationship, you become 
absolutely disturbed when you get to know yourself and the other person on an intimate level. And you can bail out at that point in time or you can work through it and you can transcend it and come out on the other side and rest. And like, that's what's so rad is this gospel of Thomas is sitting on this wisdom that so many of us have experienced in our own lives, as well as having seen it play out through story and from the, some of the great philosophers and mystics that are, uh, you know, at least in our current society, deemed pretty untouchable, like the Joseph Campbells of the world. And so I just love that the Gospel of Thomas has this just absolute juice sitting right there in just a little bit different language. Yeah, man, I'm all on board, man. And and that's the thing is like, and that's what's the, really the beauty of Jesus's words and even the Gospel of Thomas, which is you come back to these things and you can see how it, how Mimi, you were saying earlier, like it just clicks in. You're like, oh, there's a deeper level to this. Like I didn't see that the first time I read this. Hey friend, quick question. Are you on your path of self-discovery and development, but find yourself wishing you had more people around you doing the same? Maybe you've made strides in your own evolution, but wish you had more of a robust community of conscious individuals. I get it. One thing that was sorely missing in Chase and I's marriage was a positive, conscious community. We were lonely and it really started to affect us negatively. For the last three and a half years, Chase and I have been attending workshops at Paul Check's home in Rainbow, California. Paul Check is an internationally renowned holistic health, fitness, and personal development expert. No teacher or mentor has contributed more to our life and personal evolution than Paul Check. Each workshop is completely unique. Painting and art therapy, archetypes and symbols, breathwork and cold plunge, sound healing, dream interpretation, tarot, and so many more. They have had a profound effect on Chase and I individually, in our relationship together, and the future we are creating. These workshops are always filled with new material for my soul, incredible professionally cooked organic meals, and the people we meet from all over the world are truly mind-blowing. Attending in person is best, but if you can't get away to California, Paul offers the majority of workshops online as well. We are personally inviting you to come hang out with us, learn from Paul, stretch your mind, and build your community of aligned conscious souls. To see the schedule and register for an upcoming workshop, you can find the direct link in the show notes below, or you can always DM me on Instagram at Mimi underscore the medicine to learn more or ask questions. We hope to see some of you there and get to hug you in person. Cheers. And I think I make a note in my book, but just even as a note, if you only read the actual gospel of Thomas or the Bible or whatever, just go back and read it, like read it now. And then in five years, come back and read it again. Cause having that life experience is what will like bring yeah. it back. And I always find it fascinating in regards to like material science, because I don't, I don't know at this point, I don't think that we'll ever get to a place where we can scientifically like material scientifically say God exists, but it's one of those things that is like, can be anecdotally proven. Like the more people who find their path, the more people who pursue deeper meditation, who pursue wisdom, who pursue joy, who pursue intelligence, who pursue calmness or peace or all of those things will inevitably find it. And, you know, that's good to tie back to verse two, but it, it just seems to me very interesting that it's like a very individual basis, which I love. It's not a, 
top down. It's a bottom up approach. It's like the individual needs to figure it out for themselves. And that's what's going to expose it to the whole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yep. I'm going to jump to verse five. Um, Jesus said, understand what is right in front of your face and all the secrets will be revealed to you. There is no secret that will not be revealed. So I'd love to hear your breakdown of verse five. I mean, we can simply use what I was just saying there, right? This connection between money and sex was just right in front of my face. And and it takes that active approach of engaging with it. Like it's one thing to become aware of it. Okay, I'm aware of money and there's a connection here between money and sex. Okay, so be it, whatever. You can turn away from it if you like, kind of your parallel in regards to a relationship. But there's a, a willingness probably a fear that you need to overcome in order to actually engage with it. You know, ask yourself, as Mimi was putting, ask your spirit guides if that's what you have, but ask a higher power, your internal self, if you wish, what is this connection? I'm ready. Speak to it. Because that's a big thing. Even I've noticed this with my clients is in this spirituality space, so many of us, and I was here at one point, are just like, okay, God will take care of it. My spirit guides will take care of it. And it's diluting our own internal power that we have within ourselves to actually interact with that thing that's beyond this material world. And so a part of our a part of our journey is actually like reclaiming our material power, if you will, to say, no, I I'm co-creating this with God. God doesn't exist if I don't exist. Like, so we're in this co-creation together. So, okay, I'm ready now. Okay, God, show me. I'm seeing this pattern in my, and that's right in front of my face. Show me what's deeper about it. You know, and so that, that is kind of what shows itself. And then on top of that, it gets to the point where it says there's no secret that will not be revealed. I mean, you come in contact with God, he'll show you everything. Because if you, and this is, I think, where I know this is where Jesus was, and this is where uh, like Bhagavan Krishna was or any of these enlightened masters, which is aligned with what's called Christ consciousness. You know, Jesus, it was Jesus of Nazareth and Christ was just a title that was best placed upon him for his level of consciousness, like the height of his consciousness. And, and anyone can sit here right now and be like, okay, I want to achieve Christ consciousness. That's great. But you've just set a really high standard. So all of these other things are going to need to unveil in front of you and you're going to need to work for in order for you to get to that place of that level of consciousness. So it will be revealed to you at some time, but there's probably a whole bunch of other samskaras that you need to polish off in order for you to get to that next level, which might not be Christ consciousness. Like uh, Paramahansa breaks it down as, as soul consciousness, then Christ consciousness, then cosmic consciousness or God consciousness. And so it's this journey up, like figure out what consciousness you're at, right? Are you at the ego? Are you at the soul? Okay. Now, how do you get to the next one? And just keep asking questions, you know, understand what's right in front of your face. So like, we can look at this in terms of like this world being a mirror. And I think we all talk about this all the time, especially when you're in a divine partnership, you know, that that person sitting right beside you is a mirror for your in your imperfections that are a little bit less than your ultimate spark, right? Like your ultimate divinity, your ultimate soul level. And so you got to get really radical responsibility. You got to get really real with yourself about why is this showing up in my life? What does this mean for me? Is this contributing to my growth? Is it harming it? Why do I keep seeing these connections? And I think this is what's great about the fact that I was a computer engineer is that I was a 
very good at pattern recognition. So being able to see patterns is huge. It's tremendous. I mean, you look at the structure of reality, it's all based on patterns. I mean, that's what geo geometric uh, sacred geometry is. And so honestly, if you want to get better at pattern recognition, I've realized IQ tests, you know, they're not really good for intelligence. They're more pattern recognition. So if you want to get better at pattern recognition, just Google free IQ test and take it 300 times. And what will occur is, is you start seeing the patterns. Once you see the patterns, you ask the question, and then we can, I feel like I'm about to get back into verse two here. But once you pursue those questions, every secret of reality will be yeah. revealed to you, which is a powerful thing. Yeah. You know, this makes me think of is, you know how we all, our nose is in all of our sight. Mm -hmm. We just don't notice it because we mm -hmm. look around it. The secrets are right in front of our face. So they're, they're here all the time. And the way that we kind of reverse engineer to figure out what those secrets are is we have to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? What makes me uncomfortable? To get to kind of reverse engineer our way into to understanding yeah. what we're missing. And it's it's hitting on what Carl Jung talks about a lot, which is like, you know, your biggest fear is your biggest task. It's what Joseph Campbell mentions, which is the cave you fear to enter the most holds the treasure that you seek. And we have this ability when it comes to fear and things that make us uncomfortable, even though it's in front of us all the time, we have this ability to see right through it and never notice it because we're just like, I'm just going to set the table in the way that makes me the most comfortable and avoid the little yeah. shitty pieces that I don't want to look at yeah. every day. Yeah. Yet, those are the secrets. And no matter what you do, the more you avoid them, they'll accumulate. It's the monster under the bed. And the more you avoid them, inevitably, they will reveal, they will manifest in your life, whether that be through some tragedy or turmoil, or maybe it's in your next incarnation or something mm -hmm. along those lines. But we can't avoid these things and we're equipped with a system to want to avoid them and see right through them. Yeah, I think of the quote from Carl Jung, until you make the unconscious conscious, uh, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So like... Mm -hmm the events of our life sometimes unfold <laughs> based on our unconsciousness. And we think that it's just fate. But as we flip on the lights and truly want to seek and look for the secrets that are right in front of our face, like this can be interpreted in s on so many different levels, like spiritual, yes, relational, of course, like your partner being your mirror for understanding yourself on a deeper level, but then also practically in 2023 in the material world these verses can can really guide you in that way as well and, and have a, a real like boots on the ground interpretation like understand what is what is right in front of you follow the money trail you're probably going to find some answers there look at the bottom of the paper at the conflicts of interest or who the paper is funded by you're probably going to have some secrets revealed to you like there is a way to to uh reflect and to um kind of interpret this these verses on in in a way that's like practical in your life but um yeah this is it's, it's so it's so fascinating that this is here for us to read and and untangle and to supplement our uh spirituality with and i would say you know correct me if i'm wrong but most christians probably have never read the gospel of thomas right yeah, I mean, this was, uh, if you ask majority of Christians, they'll tell you that this was like the first heretic or the first heresy, which is to, you know, this is taking Jesus's name in vain. 
you know, these are blasphemous, you know, I, I mean, I pointed it out, right, with the, I experienced it with that TikTok thing. It's like, I'm going to hell. I'm a devil worshiper. Uh, the, one of my favorite comments was, I hope you have a plan whenever you get to hell because you'll need it. <laughs> and, uh, I was just like, that's pretty funny. And there's always an interesting thing with like heaven and hell. I don't know if we want to break that down, but um, that's something I've even looked into super deeply in terms of like, what is heaven? What is hell? Um, but that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But yeah, yeah. actually we addressed that uh, with our interview with Bob Peck around kind of the lack of hell in the actual Bible itself and, and where it kind of showed up historically. And it was more of like an Augustinian idea that was interjected mm -hmm. into uh, religion at that point. And, and I think in the gospel of Thomas, but something that's actually ha has still in certain Bibles lived on is this idea that the kingdom of heaven is, is amongst us and it's here and it's within us. And I think it's in verse three, Maybe I can pull that out right now. Uh, Jesus said, if those who lead you say to you, look, the kingdom of God is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will get there before you. If they say to you, it is in the waters, then the fish of the waters will get there before you. Instead, the kingdom of God is within you and all around you. Those who come to know themselves will find it. And when you come to know yourselves, you will see that you are the children of the living father. But if you do not come to know yourselves, then you live in poverty and that poverty is you. Yep. That's a heavy one, that last and line. And so I think, I want to say it's in Luke. I think it's in Luke where originally it said the kingdom of heaven is within you. And it's been changed and altered. Like if you pulled a new, whatever they're called these days, NIV version. I think that's the one we had to use in Christian school. Yeah. But it says something along the lines of, hey, the kingdom of heaven is amongst you. But this idea that the kingdom of heaven is within you aligns a lot with, with mystical teachings. And um, it can't help but but wonder if the intention for heaven was quite literally a, a piece of mind, a, a state of being, a presence with which we can vibrate such that we experience heaven in the present moment. Yeah. And before we jump into that, I do want to make a note that like in my book, I do make similar biblical references, like at the end of each verse. Yeah. So I looked at it for verse three and it would be Luke 17, 20 to 21. Matt 24, 23 to 38, and Mark 13, 21 to 23. And I think, you know, heaven and hell, it seems to me, there's just so many ways to break this down. One of my favorite ways, scientifically speaking, is whenever it comes to our nervous system. So what do I mean by that? The way that I've seen it, you know, this is like the idea that in every moment, we're either getting closer to heaven or closer to hell. And I see it such that if our nervous system is activated, we're in that sympathetic activation state, the decisions we will make in that state will bring us closer to hell. And the decisions, if we can calm it, right? Because if we become calm a manifestation of God, we are now in the parasympathetic and can now make choices out of calmness. We're not making them out of fear or anger or guilt or shame. We're calm in making decisions that bring us closer to heaven. Where it kind of gets to an esoteric level, a more mystical level, are the realms of existence that happen. And so for this, right, talking about the individual, let's do a little individual uh, synopsis, right? So things that we can say are quote unquote real, right? Like we would say that this existence, this conversation is real. Okay, so we're gonna label this as the physical world. This is our physical domain. You go to sleep, you have a dream. You are now in what I would call, it's a very real thing, right? Like. You wake up sometimes whenever you get hurt and you can feel that pain. 
So what that is, is actually the astral world. And, you know, this is astral projection, um, ast lucid dreaming. This is where it all falls into is you're now encompassing the astral world. Where the third level comes in is the mental or causal realm of existence. And again, this is kind of how Paramahansa breaks it down, but I don't see any faults with it. So like in your dreams, you still have thoughts. Usually they come a little bit more instantaneously than you have here, but they still exist. And so what that means is, and this is kind of, I don't know if Gnostics get into this too much, but you know, they believe at least that there's a divine spark of God that lives within all of us, which I agree with. So what happens is, is that divine spark exists and that is then encased in a causal body, which is like the mind stuff or manis. And then that gets encased in an astral body, which is like dreaming, which then gets encased in our physical form that we have here, which is usually called the gross because it's the slowest vibratory state. Um, but we could just call it the physical realm. So technically we have three bodies, uh, physical, astral, and causal. And those are all animated by a divine spark, which is God. And then to bring this back to our gospel, our goal is to use wisdom in order to become so attuned with that divine spark that we become and merge our consciousness with God, becoming mm. one with him. Mm. I love that. In instead of identifying, you know, with the physical or the mental or the astral realms. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, and I'm curious as to why, and, and obviously this, this shares some similarity with, with what you would find in, in the modern day Bible, but maybe that was too complex to, to, to articulate in these verses. Um, or maybe there's just, just that miss from, you know, con the evolution of consciousness such that it was avoided altogether, but but these are the types of conversations that we need to be having around heaven and hell, and less around the fact that you'll be in the pearly gates and living in pleasure for eternity after you ditch this meat suit, or if you don't, you know, ask Jesus to forgive you every day, you're going to be lit on fire with <laughs> with gnawing teeth and spikes thrown into your body for the rest of eternity. Like that's that's where we're spending all of our time in yeah. christianity instead yeah. of this really beautiful scale of consciousness evolution yeah it makes me think of um you know one of our great teachers i'm not sure if you know of of paul check we talk about him all the time on this show he talks about you know people creating their own heaven and hell on this earth on this planet mm. whether it's this incarnation or a previous one we are literally contributing, like you said, making making choices moving towards hell or making choices moving towards heaven. Certainly, like I, I don't want to sound like I'm making a grandiose statement or anything, but like there are certain times where I'm in bliss with Chase. Maybe we're watching a sunset or making love or whatever the thing is, and it's like I, I, I get it. It, it's like a, it's a, it's clicking into my psyche and my soul where it's like this is heaven. Like I'm, we are contributing to our heaven experience, but you walk around and you observe, or you just, you know, scroll five times on social media and you, you see people creating their own hell on the flip side of this. And so, you know, that's kind of the way that I think about heaven and hell, um, is there an actual place in another realm that exists? Maybe, I don't know. I tend to think not, but you know, we can be contributing to our heaven and our our hell on earth by through the decisions that we're we're making and 
you're, I will just say, we've said this before, but when you let go of the thought of a physical place that is hell under the earth somewhere, wherever that is down there, your life opens up so much. You, you, it was like a, almost like a sigh of relief that I could, that I could take once I was like, you know what? I don't believe in hell. I don't think that that's real. I think that that was a group of people, a group of individuals, you know, using fear to control another group of individuals. I don't, I think this is a human made thing. It makes sense to me. And, um, you know, I'm going to live my life in a way where I'm contributing to my heaven experience, not my hell experience, um, on earth. And yeah, anyways, and, there's my model. And hell is as available as heaven is in, yeah. in a present moment yeah. because all of us have been in those, those spaces where we're, just sliding down the slippery slope of pessimism or skepticism or anxiety and fear and we've gone into every depth of worst case scenario possible and we seem that we can't stop but those moments where time stops being vertical and turns mm -hmm. horizontal and it pauses for all uh for at least that moment and you're experiencing the sun as if it's you and you're experience you're experiencing your partner as if it's you and and that you're united with with divinity though that's what we're talking about here that's what we're talking about yeah. hey friends i'm changing the subject for just a second to invite you into an act of appreciation if the medicine podcast has added value to your life in any way, maybe bringing more consciousness into your partnership, your spirituality, or the products that you choose to have in your house, we would be so grateful if you could take two minutes to write a review in Apple Podcasts. And because this means so much to us, we will send you some of our favorite products to say a big thank you. Here's what you do. When you write your genuine five-star review in Apple Podcasts, before you push submit, take a screenshot and email that to themedicinepodcast at gmail.com. Remember, medicine does not have an E on the end. Themedicinepodcast at gmail.com. Along with your name and shipping address, we will then personally send you a special surprise thank you. It could be Real Mushrooms, Organifi, King Coffee, Keon, or even Immune Intel AHCC. It means that much to us. Cheers and love. About heaven and, and hell, and, and it's not that they're not real, it's just that the literal articulation of them and the, the yeah. fear used for hell and this sort of irrational pleasure leveraged for this, this idea of heaven makes it really an anxiety process of having to walk through life with these two like what the hell is going to happen to me uh after I, I die type of idea um and and so maybe trickling into maybe the last verse i'll pull out from gospel of thomas um because it does mention heaven is verse six and it says jesus says do not lie and do not do what you hate for all things are known to heaven and i like how simple this is and it seems as if it could be taken quite literally um but maybe there's a more medical metaphysical idea behind it what stands out for you what when you looked into this verse um really resonated yeah so you I, you, you glanced over i think uh important part which is the first uh kind of part of that where jesus's disciples asked him 
how should we fast? How should we pray? Should we give alms? Should we eat? And the reason I want to point this out as being important because then Jesus is like, do not lie. So imagine someone's like, hey, how do we give alms? How do we fast? How do we do this? And Jesus is like, just don't lie. And so why this is important is it goes back to the beginning of our conversation in regards to the church. Okay, people are going to church. They're walking through the motions. But in essence, they're lying to themselves because they're not there with their whole heart. You know, there's a, um, actually, it's a long story that I, you know, it'll help, but I think we've <laughs> identified the importance of it where, you know, if you're, if you're doing things you hate, right? Like, so it says, do not do what you hate for all things are known to heaven. And I think this comes back to that divine spark that lives within all of us, right? There's this divine spark of God that lives within every single one of us. So that's how God is able to know whether or not you're on your path or not, because you know if you're on your path or not. Jordan Peterson talks about this all the time. Go sit on your bed and ask yourself, what is something I know I should be doing that I'm not doing? Mm -hmm. And you'll have like a laundry list of things that will come to mind. If you're out of alignment, it'll just, it'll feel like it never ends, but you just need to do that one thing. And this is where it comes back. There is no secret that will not be revealed and all that is covered will be uncovered. It's because you know, you know, all the information, you have the wisdom within you. The key is, is just to become in alignment with it. And what happens is, and why he starts us off with do not lie is because the problem is with lying is you warp yourself out of alignment with reality. You know, we live in a time right now where it's like, oh, my truth is the absolute or like the real truth and subjective truth is a thing. And honestly, for a long time, I used to buy into that. I used to think like, oh, okay, like everyone has their own truth. Like that's cool, whatever. But through my inquiries with um, people I've had on my podcast, it seems to me, and the best answer I've received uh, from Asha Nayaswamy is she points out that truth is directional. So a good way to, to highlight this is like, think about somebody who is like a bum sitting on their couch, not doing anything to progress their life. Maybe they're severely overweight, you know, they're living in their parents' basement and they then get like this divine inspiration. They ask themselves, right? What is something I'm not doing in my life that I should be doing? And they get this divine inspiration to go to the gym every day and become a lawyer. They, over the course of the next four years, they become absolutely ripped. They get a law degree and they become a lawyer and they make a ton of money. Now, directionally, their truth is directionally true. They are now a better person. They are now closer to heaven. They are in less of a place of hell, energetically speaking. However, if we take that same thing, we look at someone like Jesus and we say, and Jesus wakes up one morning, right? At, right before the crucifixion and goes, ah, you know what, guys? I'm not really uh, the son of God. And I'm actually um, divine to become a lawyer. So I'm going to take all this influence that I have to become a lawyer and make a lot of money. We all sit back and be like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're going the wrong direction. That's not, you're going backwards. So then it becomes fascinating of like how one person doing one thing can be true. And that for another, it's completely out of misalignment with the harmony or of the universe or even God. And what that invites in is that the truth isn't subjective, it's directional. There are things that I need to do that some people might not need to do, like Chase might not need to do, or Mimi, you might not need to do. And there's things you guys need to do that I might not need to do. And there's different pillars that this appears in our lives, whether it's for relationships or money or um, creating things. 
And so we need to get really real with ourselves and stop lying because you lie to other people. You're lying to that mirror that is you. And so you're not truly lying to them. You're lying to yourself. And what's really cool, if you guys want a superpower, here's it. And I accidentally figured this out. When you stop lying in every aspect of your life, and this includes to yourself about things you should be doing. And, and also as a caveat, not saying something is a lie. When you have something to say, it is a lie. So back to the superpower. When you get really honest and start telling the truth as much as possible, saying things when you know you need to say them, you start to figure out when other people are lying hmm. and you know when other people are lying. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of like caveats that come with this, but the crux of it is like, you just know, because you are now in a place of absolute alignment with truth and honesty that cannot be corrupted. And this is, you know, just, it's kind of getting emotional because I know how true that this is that like, I'll tell people someone be like, Hey, when you said this, it felt like this and be like, Oh no, that's not the case. They can't lie to me. I know that it's the saying, like you can lie to yourself, but you can't lie to me. It's because I'm aligned with truth. I know what truth feels like. And I can tell that you're not telling the truth. So, you know, and then there's an element of just like not pushing the envelope and just like let them go. But it doesn't really matter at that point because you know what is the truth and what is a lie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude. Well, well put. I, it's funny. I have a really similar, like mind blowing idea, which is just tell the fucking truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get these questions at the end of podcasts sometimes, which are like, if you had five words to tell the whole world, you know, or put on a (laughs) thing. And I'm always like, just be honest. Like yeah. it's, it's actually just tell the truth. It's uncomfortable, yeah, but it's also easy and it, it's going to be uncomfortable right now, but it's going to be significantly easier in the future when mm-hmm. you tell the truth. Yeah. And, um, God, one of the hardest things for me to do was to truthfully tell my family and my community that I don't believe in Christianity. And it was, I'm talking years of discomfort and feeling exiled but it has been the most empowering step that i've taken in my personal journey and there's been aspects to it in our relationship and been aspects to it in in health and wellness as well um but it is such a step towards empowerment Mm -hmm. and there's the lying to other people but the lying to yourself is the is the one that's like hard to reverse engineer and even so many of the things that we've talked about today in these excerpts from the verses will they go together and that avoidance of the thing that you're afraid of is is living outside of truth and for instance i had chronic um exercise addiction food uh neuroses and i was the last one to admit that this was just crippling my well-being was that i extra over exercised was overly methodical about the way that I ate food and it was I just avoided it at all costs it wasn't until I was just actually able to step into the fact that was like man I'm really fucked up here <laughs> like I'm really really fucked up and not quite sure how to reorient this thing and reorganize this thing that I actually fell in love with wellness and yeah. actually fell in love with fitness and food and yeah and oddly enough it was like I was the last one to know, but, but these things are available to us and, and there's no course out there. Truth telling course, you know, seven steps to telling the fucking truth. Like, <laughs> sh- shut yeah, up, shut yeah. up. Everybody, you know, exactly 
where it's at, what you need to do. Get yourself a great relationship partner who's a mirror for you because they'll likely highlight it directly or indirectly. But like that is profound wisdom. Yeah. And that's what I loved about this verse. And it can be taken in every any way, shape, and form. You know, you could use this for health too. It's like the person saying, What supplements do I need to take to get healthy? And you go, Whoa, 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 wrong question. Where how are you prioritizing movement, sleep, uh, you know, relationship stress? Supplements need to be like the the cherry on top if yeah. you're interested, even at that point. Uh, you're asking the wrong question. And so tell yeah. the truth, don't lie. How are you living in health? I think of, you know, just piggybacking on what you were saying. I can think back on four or five pivotal moments, pivotal events in my life where my life, it was like I was at a crossroad and my life went in a better direction. Maybe it was our relationship or maybe it was my health or maybe career or family stuff. And the thing that was the impetus for my life getting better was for me to stop lying to myself about whatever mm. the certain thing was. So that was like the impetus. That was the 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 crux of the thing. In order for my life to get better, I have to stop lying to myself. And I can think back on a handful of things where I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that was when I stopped lying to myself about blank and my life got... <laughs> amazingly better in this in this avenue so i think that you know like you said babe there's it may be uncomfortable in the short term but it's only going to serve you in the long term even if your external circumstances don't change or get better quote unquote your inner world will be more peaceful it will be more calm because you know that you are aligned with reality and truth and there will be no psychic weight attached to the 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 energy that it takes to keep up lying to yourself yeah you get really sensitive you get really sensitive to not telling the truth like i'll lose a night of sleep if i if i fucking lied about something yeah it's like it's yeah. like, can't even lie anymore god yeah well and and i think if it's so true if you want to take this to another level i think there's you know and and this gets into like very subtle energetics but it feels to me as though there's a very subtle difference between telling the truth and not lying and that's kind of what I've also picked up on what, you know, it says, Jesus said, do not lie and do not do what you hate. Yeah. And, and so I, I just, something about me says, okay, there's a reason he said that instead of be honest and do what you love. It, it seems to me as almost like figure out where you're lying and just stop doing that. Don't worry about telling the truth, but just stop lying. And yeah. I don't really know. And it's reminding me now of uh, in 12 Rules for Life by Dr. Jordan Peterson. I think like number one rule is like, be honest or at least don't lie. So I, you know, I'm probably going to do a disservice to explaining it. You guys should check out that book as well. Yeah. We but, yeah. So I don't, I don't know what exactly there is. I'd probably have to reread his book, but I know there's maybe I get into it in my book, but I don't, I don't really remember, but there's definitely an energetic difference between telling the truth, but just like, like focusing on not lying over focusing on telling the truth. And I'm not sure exactly what that is. And it's probably, you know, at least what comes up for me is that God, everybody's got their truth, you know, subjective, objective truth, and it gets dicey. And I think the reality is, is that truth sometimes is just a big, I don't know. I don't know what the truth is, but mm -hmm. I know what a lie is. And it's easier to not do that. Um, yeah. I think the difference comes when, you know, uh, 
if somebody asks you a question or if you think a particular thing about a certain person, maybe you're having a judgment about this person, like, oh God, they're so annoying. If you were to tell the truth in that moment, you're really annoying me right now. Like, is that helping? Is that helping anything? Is that, a, mm. you know, like use wisdom, use discernment. Like, is this going to help the situation? If you just walk through life like Jim Carrey and Liar Liar, your life is probably going to come crumbling down if you're, you know, just speaking your mind without any sort of discernment or filter. But I think there's a difference between just saying whatever you want because it's truth and not lying. Um, and that can probably be interpreted in a myriad of ways, but that's at least where my brain goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Clayton, it's been a blast, man. Where can people get a hold of revealing the secret teachings of Jesus, the gospel of Thomas, this awesome work that you've put forth? Yeah. The link should be below. If not, you can uh, go to traveling to consciousness.com. If you guys are listening to this when it airs, my website is currently under construction, but there is a link there to find the link for Secret Teachings of Jesus. You can check out my Instagram, Clayton Kuteri, uh, and then there's a link in the bio um, or the Instagram Traveling to Consciousness or my TikTok at Clayton Kuteri. Um, or the YouTube page. <laughs> there's a bunch of options to get there. Yeah. Um, and even honestly, like I th- I'm beyond excited of how well this book came out. But if people aren't at the point yet, I mean, it's less than ten dollars. It's like eight dollars ninety one cents, and it's you know I take the tax on as well, so you don't even have to pay tax. But you know, do yourself a favor at the very least. If eight dollars and ninety one cents is out of your budget for the time being, get the actual gospel. Like. I break it down, but you can find the actual gospel out there. So do yourself a favor for sure. And at least read over it and be like, oh, this is, this is a really fascinating book and see how it applies to your life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's great. We'll have all the the corresponding links in the show notes for sure. Um, As we close here, we got to ask you our last question that we ask every guest on the medicine. The medicine podcast is all about leaning into the medicines that help us to create more consciousness in our life in every lane in every relationship that we have so for you what currently feels like medicine right now meditating concentrated meditating being very focused when in meditation people think it's just closing your eyes and just floating away but there's a level of a uh, concentration that needs to come into it and I'm not exactly at a point to reveal the, cause I signed a little document with uh, Paramahansa's organization. So I'm mm-hmm. not really able to de- disclose what I do personally, but there's a level of focus and that level of focus will transcend into like your everyday life. So, you know, focus on, you know, the, one of those 10 elements, I would say of what uh those manifestations of god whichever one calls to you the most you know for me it was wisdom but maybe for someone else it's peace or calmness or love i don't think love is actually a manifestation which is interesting but um intelligence calmness um peace wisdom light vibration and just feel into it because over time i've noticed like the more i focus on one of them the other ones just kind of started unfolding and coming to me and you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you're if you're attuned with the source and the creator of everything, that's all the medicine you really need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Well said. Love it. Thanks, my friend. Really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. 
You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. Um, thanks for being here, you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. Check the show notes for all the links and we will talk to you next time. Go spread some light. Okay, bye. Hey friend, thanks for listening. Did you hear anything today that expanded your mind, made you laugh, touched your soul, or caused you to think differently about this topic? I hope so. I invite you to share this episode with someone you love. It takes 30 seconds and has the potential for a great ripple effect. Our world needs more people having real, honest, and open-minded dialogue on big topics. And you never know, you may just change their entire day. We love you and appreciate you being here with us. Cheers.